her ear, man. Just, just straight to the Lord, right? Welcome to First, First Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Matt Brocker. Our lead pastor, Jeff Bartell, is uh, currently in, I believe, uh, he's in Decatur, Alabama, right? Okay, Pastor Cezanne is in the States from Albania, and, and so Jeff is down there translating for him, and that's an awesome, exciting time. We're excited to have uh, Cezanne come and visit with us again. We're, we're excited to have Pastor Jeff back. And you too, Erla, welcome home. All right, <laughs> hope you had a good, good time there. Uh, we've been in a study in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue that study. So if, if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter 14. And we're going to pick up in verse 26 when we get there. How many of you guys, as you're turning there, how many of you like to build stuff? Right? Okay, I like building stuff. How many of you like to buy something? And this may be just guys raising your hand. But, but you like to buy something and, and you like to set the box aside and see if you can do it without... With it. Yes, and, and, and then at the end you just assume, well those crazy Chinese, they keep putting extra screws in these boxes. <laughs> I just buy a lot of stuff from Walmart, so that's usually the case. I just assume they don't know how to put the stuff in the box. Well normally, you know, if you, if you buy something, it comes with a set of instructions. If you buy something, how many has ever bought something from Ikea? couple, you know, there's not one really close here, but I've got a picture of some Ikea instructions, all right, and so they, they always have a picture of this weird naked guy. <laughs> I don't know why. N- n- no clothing required to properly assemble your <laughs> shelving. I, anyways, so, so this guy says, here, you need these tools. You, you start this way, and when you get confused, just, just go ahead and call in, because you're going to get confused eventually, right? Here's all the nuts and bolts you need, and here's where you start, right? A good set of instruction gives you the, the starting place. It gives you step-by-step, very clear instructions, so that when you're done, hopefully, you know, naked guy aside, what is on the box is what is in your living room, right? And, and you can see, you can see very clearly you, you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish, one of the, the favorite things for my family to build is Legos. And so I think we've got some pictures of some Legos. So I've got that set at home. And you just go ahead and roll through those pictures. And Legos do a very good job of telling you, okay, the head goes onto the body, the body goes onto the legs, right? They, they give you all those simple step-by-step instructions so that hopefully when you're done, you know, if, if there's an X-Wing fighter on the outside of the box, then you can play with an actual X-Wing fighter in your hands as well with Luke Skywalker, little Lego man, right? How awesome is that, right? We, I like to nerd out on, on Legos and Star Wars at the same time. That's just how I roll. So the, the awesome thing is, man, if you just had a box full of X-Wing fighter pieces and no instructions, unless you're just very, very talented or very artistic, you're not going to have an X-Wing fighter when you're finished, necessarily, right? It, it may look like one, but you're going to have more than a few pieces left over. You're going to have, you know, the X-Wing fighter and then whatever my son usually builds. Some extra, you know, fighter jet that has an awesome rocket booster on the back. Well, that, it just isn't going to look like what you set out to design and build or what was designed to be built. And so we've, we've been in this study in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and specifically, it's been all about the, the spiritual gift of tongues. And we've seen there's a specific purpose for tongues. And if, 
If we don't follow the instructions in the book, we're not going to end up with what God intended that thing to be. All right, so Legos is just a really cool, fun thing to do. The spiritual gifts are what we're required to do to have the church be what God says it's supposed to be. And so Kale started a few weeks ago, and uh, he, he started us off in the chapter, and he said, and, and we learned that prophecy is better than tongues. Right? Some things are clearly better than other things. Both things are good, both things are beneficial, but if you're going to choose, if you're going to weigh them, prophecy is better. And then the week after that, Jeff taught the actual intended purpose for spiritual gifts. And we're going to see some of that again today. And then last week, of course, we saw from verses 20 to 25, Pastor Troy led us through a study that showed us the explicit, the exact, precise reason that tongues was in existence, and that was a sign, right? And we'll see that again today. And I feel like what Cale did, we're going to see again today, and what Jeff did, we're going to see again today, and what what Troy did last week, and I was talking to Jeff, I was like, man, this, this chapter gets a little bit repetitive. And, and maybe the, the saving grace for you all is that you've heard it from four different people now. All right, maybe, maybe it's not going to get you know, hard to listen to the same things, and maybe you're not going to get dull of hearing. But one thing we'll never do here at First Baptist is apologize for what God has to say. Right? And so he's repeating himself through the voice of Paul, through this letter from Paul. And Paul's saying, as Paul normally does, he says, here's the doctrinal Here's the teaching that I have for you, and, and on this side, I'm going to give you the practical. And sometimes it's just so simple to begin with that the practical is just a repetition of what we've already seen. And so we're going to see that again. We're not going to apologize, and, and, and it's up to us as the hearers to apply what he's given us. And, and if he feels the need to repeat, then, then we better be listening, right? Because when God repeats himself, he, he wants us to get it. So now, go ahead and turn specifically to verse 26, and read along with me, and we'll, we'll get moving into the actual passage. Verse 26, verse 26 starts off, he says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at most by three, and that by course. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be com comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all of the churches of the saints. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started in our, our sheet. Lord, uh, we are thankful that you do give us very clear instruction. Now, life can be crazy, and life can be busy, and we can get confused, and your instruction is still clear. And it's a matter of submitting ourselves to what you've shown us in faith and trusting that you're right, and what we feel and what we experience is maybe just a distraction. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts today. I pray that you would be glorified by this, the, the topic that we cover this morning, by the passage that we're in, and we're thankful for the clear instruction of your word. Uh, I pray that you would just move in our hearts, move me out of the way, and just do what you need to do. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so looking back at verse 26, Paul starts off. We, we saw he gave very clear doctrine, 
very clear understanding, very explicit instruction as to what tongues is all about, and then he follows up with this question, how? Right? This is very clear, this is very obvious. How in the world did you end up where you ended up, is basically the question Paul's asking. He says, how is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Right? If everybody's talking at the same time, is anybody going to be edified? This reminds me of when, when my dear wife and I were dating, and, and when we were first married, I would go over to her house, and it would be her, I mean, obviously myself, her, her two sisters, and her mom. And one of them would get to telling a story, and, and another one would remember a detail from that story, and I love them very dearly. This is not picking on anybody. This is just the difference between men and women. And, and, and the next one would chime in, and, and then before I knew it, all four of them, it seemed to me, were talking at the same time. And, and if you know anything about me, my processor's just a little bit slower than most. And I'm just like, you know, everybody's talking and saying, I don't know what's, what, and I would just kind of glaze over. <laughs> and just eat, eat my meal and, and just be happy that I was there. But <laughs> there was no edification for me. <laughs> I couldn't keep up. Everybody talks at the same, we, we have that at my, my dinner table now with my kids, right? It's, it's just a lot, of, a lot of chatter, and it's hard to, hard to process all of the voices at one time to, to actually know what happened in everybody's day, all right? So, so Paul's saying, look, guys, you can't, you can't talk all at the same time. You can't all have a message from God that has to be heard right now. How did this happen? How did you get so unorganized? And so he goes through this list, and, and we've got it on your sheet. A psalm is basically a song, right? We know that. We've got a whole book full of them. It's a limerick. It's a, it's a poem. And if you take a psalm specifically from the book of Psalms, it's going to have historical, prophetic, and personal application, right? We know that that is a word from God because it's in his Bible. It's in his word. And so if that was what they were doing, bringing a psalm, because they knew, look, Jesus did this. Jesus referred to the psalms all the time, and he applied it to us today. There's some cool prophecy in there. And, and Paul did that, and Peter did that. We see an example of Christ doing it in Luke 24, verse 44. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Right? So, so we know that the, the Corinthian church was a little bit selfish. Right? That's been the, the theme of all of these messages that we've seen is it, they're, they're putting themselves before the group, and Paul's trying to correct the order. And so it makes sense that, man, wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't everybody think that I'm pretty cool if, if I was able to point out another prophecy from the Psalms to the group? I'll, I'll get some attention for that one, right? And the second thing he points out is a doctrine. This is a word that we often use around here. It just means teaching. Mark 4, 2 says, And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. He was teaching, that's what doctrine means. And a tongue, and we've seen this from Pastor Cale a few weeks ago, he defined this very clearly. A tongue can be the physical member in your mouth or the words or language that that tongue is, is used to produce. Deuteronomy twenty-eight forty-nine: The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, 
as a swift or as swift as an eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. Obviously, that's referring to the words that they speak. The next thing he has on that list is a revelation, and this is something shown that was not previously known. Right? The book of Revelation is full of future events that were revealed to the, to the Apostle John. Romans 16, 25 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Okay, So revelation is something that we didn't know about, but obviously God did. Right? God is revealing new things to people. And interpretation, the last thing on the list, is taking something that is seen or something that is heard and not understood and giving it meaning. Okay, We see this a lot in the Old Testament, specifically tied to dreams. Right? Genesis 41.8, this is about Joseph and about the Pharaoh. And it says, and it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, the Pharaoh's. And he sent and called for the, all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Okay, so an interpretation is just taking something that has no meaning to a specific audience and giving it an actual meaning, what, what was meant to be understood in the first place. And so Paul gives us all these five different examples, and he's saying, how is it that every one of you is coming with all of these? How is it that all of you have so much to say? You guys are a mess. It's no wonder you're a mess. You're, you're all out of order. It's chaos. And, and nobody's being edified. And that word edify we've seen over the past several weeks means to build up. An edifice is a building. So to edify is to build, right? To build up. And, and it's our job as believers in the body of Christ to build one another up, right? We are to build spiritually into one another's lives. So Paul lists these five things, and then he says, let all things... Be done unto edifying. And then in, at the end of the chapter, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. Well, why? Because if you don't, they don't edify. It's just confusing, and we'll see that as we go. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Look, the, the church was free to get a revelation from God. Every one of them could, could spend time with the Lord, could, could have the, the supernatural gifts of the early church come you know, to them and have a word from the Lord. And Paul is saying, that's fine. You're allowed to do that. What you're not allowed to do is just talk over one another. What you're not allowed to do is be disorganized. What you're not allowed to do is confuse the body of Christ as to what you're supposed to do next. That doesn't edify. Confusion does not edify. And so on your sheet, we've got, just before point one, a note that says, building into the lives of each other in the church requires clear instruction and understanding. Building into the lives of each other in the church requires clear instruction and understanding. This is the way God meant for it to be. which is why I've chosen the title Building with Understanding, Edifying with Understanding. All right, so the first thing that Paul gets into, as you saw as we, when we read through that, was he, he says, here's these five things. Let me give you a few specific details on tongues. Right? In verse 27, 
And this is, this is understanding the gift of tongues. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. Let one interpret, but if there be no interpreter, let him be silence, or keep silence in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. All right, so we're going to look at some specific examples, the only examples in Scripture to where the gift of tongues was even used. All right, so the first thing we're going to see, letter A, is, is at the beginning of the church. How was the gift of tongues used at the beginning of the church? There are three instances. They're all in the book of Acts. And before we get into those instances, I want to redo the framework of what we've seen. Right, we've been studying through 1 Corinthians, and we keep coming across a verse that refers to tongues, and we'll say, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there in a little bit. Well, we've gotten there, and we've been there for a few weeks, and we're going to try and wrap all this up and, and have a concise statement here. But 1 Corinthians 1, says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Okay, so this is very simple. The Jews require signs because they're the ones the signs were promised to. I mean, that's deep, right? God said, hey, Jews... I want you to look for this. And when you see this sign, you're going to know that this other event is going to happen. And it was over and over and over. And the two major events that they were talking about most of the time were the first and second coming of Christ. There's going to be a sign. You're going to know when he's here because you're going to see this thing. There's going to be a sign. You're going to know when he's going to return because you're going to see these things. And he's saying, look, the Jews require a sign because God is the one that promised those signs to them. 1 Corinthians 14, 21, and 22 says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and of other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. <clears throat> Verse 22, he says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them with, that believeth, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. All right, so tongues are for a sign, for those who don't believe something that God has clearly told them. All right, signs are for the Jews. So we're putting the framework together here. Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. All right, so last week we saw in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Deuteronomy God was warning Israel, look, if you don't turn around in obedience and follow what I'm telling you to do, you're going to see a sign. That sign is going to be that foreign language is going to invade your land, a, a language you're not going to understand. And it's going to come in as punishment for your disobedience. Right? So what we've seen is tongues are for a sign to the unbelieving Jews that a change is coming due to the, their lack of faith and their lack of obedience. So now let's look in the book of Acts and see if this framework holds up. Chapter 2 is the first time we see this. This is the most talked about, the most famous. It was at Pentecost. Right? Verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, when they found out, when they heard that some people were speaking in, in different tongues, the, the multitude came together, in verse 6, and were confounded. 
because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Right? As if to say, look, if you're from Galilee, like that's, that's like you're from T County, y'all. You probably don't speak more than one language. This has got to be of God, right? We, we just speak T County, right? Everybody else is, is foreign. He says, Behold, not, are not all these which speak Galileans? Aren't these guys from, from out of town? Cretes and Arabians in verse 11. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. All right, so they, they heard these individuals who should not have been able to speak in all of these different tongues. There were 16, at least 16 different languages mentioned or, or, or locations mentioned, so it may be even more languages. Right? There was all of these different people. They were all Jews. They were all good, obedient to the law Jews. They were in town in Jerusalem in order to obey the law and be there for the feast of Pentecost. Right? What they didn't know, what they didn't believe, was that Jesus Christ had come as the Son of God, right? So they were obedient Jews in a sense, but what they didn't obey was the gospel. They did not believe that Jesus Christ had come for them. And so they also did not believe that they, as Jews, were responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. And Peter goes on to share the entire story with them. There's no indication that from this point on he's speaking in tongues anymore, right? The tongues and the speaking was, was the apostles doing this event. It was miraculous. It pointed to a message. And Peter shared that message. And he said, look, killed the Messiah, right? Verse 36, let all, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And their reaction, many of them, not even all of them though, Many of them were, were like, man, what, what, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? And Peter then explained how they would get saved, right? The next thing that we see is, is in Acts chapter 10, the next time we see tongues. In Acts chapter 10, we're not going to read that. We're going to pick up in, in chapter 11. But the, the entirety of chapter 10 is Peter is receiving these visions from the Lord. And, and there's all of these animals on a sheet. They're coming down from heaven and and God says, Peter, eat. Eat, eat these animals. And, but the law of the Old Testament says, well, there's certain animals that you should not eat. There's certain animals that you, you should not even touch because God has determined that those animals are unclean. And so these animals come down, and Peter says, Lord, no, I, I, I've never eaten anything unclean. I, I'm, a, I'm a good Jew, and I followed the law, and, and I've never done that. And God's reply is, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And there's another vision, it's the exact same thing, and these animals come down, and the God says, Peter, eat. And he says, Lord, I've never done that. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. And a third time, don't call unclean, Peter, what I have determined is now clean. He said, oh, by the way, when you wake up, there's going to be a man at your door, and he's going to take you to talk to a Gentile, I want you to go. Peter wakes up, he snaps out, of, wow, that was a weird dream, wasn't knock, knock, knock on the door. And he goes, and there's this guy, and he says, hey, my boss wants you to come and tell him about Jesus. So what, a, what an awesome open door, right? Literal open door. And so he goes, and in chapter 11, we see some of the interaction. Or, or at the end, we see the, the interaction right before chapter 11. And, and what happens is Peter shares the gospel. He tells them about Christ, 
And as they're understanding it and believing it, they begin to speak in tongues. Gentiles, well, I thought this was for Jews. Well, it is. Because Peter, at this point, still believes that Gentiles are unclean. And God said, look, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Because the Gentiles now, everybody else in the world, can now receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is no longer just for the Jews. And if we pick up in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, those who were Jewish, contended with him. They wanted to argue with him about it. There wasn't just one unbelieving Jew present, was there? Right? And Peter goes through this story and he says, look, look this is what happened. I shared Christ, and, and in verse 15 of, of chapter 11, it says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And, and that's the blessing that we get to be a part of. So tongues are for a sign to unbelieving Jews that change is coming. Right? We saw last week, look, if you hear the, the foreign languages in your land, you need to understand that your physical kingdom is about to be taken over because you did not listen and obey. And in the New Testament, we see the spiritual kingdom of God transitioning from specifically only to the Jews to, to being available for everyone else. And it's because of the rejection of the nation of Israel. Now, I understand that a lot of Jews got saved at first, but, but that, that just got less and less and less. Because as a nation, as a whole, they have rejected Christ. And so what Peter and what these other Jews are witnessing is the exact same events. It's happening real time. It's transitioning from us to them. God's promise is coming through true and it's it's happening right in front of us the third time we see is in chapter 19 and we'll go through this one quickly verses 1 through 6 and it came to pass that while apollos was at corinth paul having passed through the upper coasts uh, came to ephesus and finding certain disciples he said unto them have you received the holy ghost since you believed and they said unto him we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost, okay? So, well, these are believing Jews, but, but what is it that they're believing? That's the issue. And he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? When they said, un, un, unto John's baptism, right? John the Baptist, we went down to the River Jordan, he dunked us in, and, and we've been, you know, happy ever since. That's, we're good, right? Then, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So who is it that, that would have been baptized by John? Jews. Who is it that, that Paul found that were called disciples? They believed something, they just didn't know everything. Paul informs them of the rest of the story, and, and there's tongues evident, or as evidence to them of this transition that's happening. So what Paul discovered was a pocket of Jews that had yet to believe on Christ. And personally, I think when, when Paul mentioned in, in verse 18 of chapter 14 that, you know, I thank my God that, that I speak with tongues more than you all, I think it had more to do with Paul's missionary journeys 
than his personal prayer life that, that everyone would argue that that's exactly what happened. No, well that's, no he, he's talking about prayer there. No, he says, he's, he didn't say pray in tongues, he says speak in tongues, right? Right before that, he says pray in tongues. Here he says speak in tongues. He's not talking about, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than you all. No. He was a missionary, and, and if we look at Acts chapter 17, it says, verse 1 and 2, it says, when they had passed through Amphipolis, that's easy to say, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Paul's manner was, I'm going to go in first, and I'm going to look for a pocket of unbelieving Jews. Now, look, I'm not saying that every single time he came upon that, or any time necessarily, that he spoke in tongues. Because it's not recorded that he spoke in tongues. So I can't make that statement. But I believe, personally, why would he need to, unless he had a need for a sign for unbelieving Jews that were in specific areas? Right? He would start off that way, possibly speak in tongues. Possibly they would speak in tongues. One thing you don't see anywhere in these instances is, is translation. Because there was no need for it. Right? The specific audience needed to hear a word of God and and God, through the apostle, would speak whatever they needed to hear. So, it's a little bit different at the gathering of the church, which is letter B. Initially, we see that the signs were required for unbelieving Jews. Paul gives us detail in verses 27 through 29, again, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and, not, and, and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. Paul is helping them with some organization. Right? They were unorganized. It was a mess. It was confusing. So Paul says, let's, let's put a few things in order here. Not everyone gets to speak. Choose two or three. Let one person translate. If no one's going to translate, keep it to yourself. Right? So I grew up in a church, and, and again, we're not about bashing anybody else, what anybody else is doing. We're, we're here to learn what God has to say. And so don't interpret my personal story as, as bashing anybody else. This is just something I experienced. I grew up in a church that believed that tongues is for today in the context of the local church. And so what would happen is, you know, somebody would speak something unintelligible to the, to the audience around them, and, and what I would do as a young man who, who did not know the Lord at the time, and I would sit there and just kind of peek this way and peek that way. and Oh, man, because I knew this verse existed. I knew that if, if somebody was going to speak in tongues, then somebody else was going to come on in later, and they were going to translate what, whatever we just heard. Okay, and so there would be times, there were instances where, man, there's, cricket, there's crickets chirping out there. I don't think anybody's going to interpret Man, I'm nervous, and I don't even know what's going on. And I, and I would think to myself, man, somebody's in trouble now. They, just, they just said something, and nobody knows, and somebody's supposed to interpret, and nobody's interpreting. What's going to happen? Right, and so what would be taught is that, well, look, don't, don't be afraid of, of sharing in tongues. If, if something comes to you, you just share that thing. You share that in faith, because it's the faith that's going to overwhelm you that's going to overwhelm somebody else and they're going to interpret. What was sold, what was taught is that 
this is an uncontrollable force that's going to make you do something. Don't you worry about what somebody else does because God will make them do what he wants them to do as well. Well, sometimes they didn't. What do you do with that? That's confusing. Paul says, Paul uses the term let six times in three verses. And this is not talking about allow or, or, or submit or give up, right? Let is a term of control. It's a decisive term. It is in your power to make a decision to make something happen. He says, let it be by two or three. Just allow two or three? No, you, you decide. There's two or three going to speak. We're going to let you. We're going to control this. He says, let one interpret. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silent. You're allowed to shut up. That's not, no, no, you keep your mouth closed because this was all very controlled. This was not spur of the moment. This was not something to where God came in and, and forced something to happen that nobody knew and had to be like, wow, mysterious, crazy awesomeness because that could only happen by God. No, God is a God of order and detail and instruction and he wants you and I to understand what he's saying. And Paul's saying that's not okay. He also uses the phrase by course. And this is a, a phrase we don't use that often today. We may say over the course of time, and, and that's similar. But this phrase is often, you know, or we can see this phrase as in a quick comparison in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And this is the parents, the father specifically, of John the Baptist. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Okay, so this is the story of John the Baptist's parents. His dad is in, in the, the temple. If you compare this to the Old Testament law, the Levites were divided up into responsibilities, into courses. Right? They had their course of the things they were supposed to do and the timing in which they were supposed to do it. Right? So that's what he's talking about. Doing this by course is doing it in order, organized, you wait your turn, and you do your job when it's your turn. But before that, just keep it to yourself. It's not something that's overpowering and uncontrollable and just happens, and man, that was, that was cool, wasn't it? No, it's not that. That's not at all what he's talking about. So in the early church, that's what was happening. In and Paul was saying, look, you, you've got to get this thing under control. You've got to organize this. You should know ahead of time if somebody can speak that translation language. You should know ahead of time if, if somebody's going to need some extra understanding. It should be organized. It should be purposeful. You should let that thing, you should control it. So that's the usage in the original church. Today, however, things are a little bit different, and we've seen these things, so I'm not going to spend a lot of detail here or give you a lot of detail. We're not going to spend a lot of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Specifically, verses 8 through 10, we saw in the study of charity that charity never fails. Right? That's an eternal thing. That's going to keep going. That's never going to stop. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Right? What this says is tongues shall cease. 
And the study that Pastor Jeff did for us, with us, was that, look, there's, there's something perfect that's going to come. It's the incarnate Word of God and the inspired and preserved Word of God, right? He, Christ is going to come again, but we already have an inspired and preserved and perfect book. There's no reason for me to have a new revelation, right? It may be a personal revelation of something I've never seen before, you want to call that a revelation, that's fine. But it was already there. It was already in his word. It was already revealed. The tongues have ceased. There's no need for it today. There's no need to prove to the unbelieving Jews that a change is coming. The change has already happened. We're past that. This is different now. Think about it this way. John 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus departs, the Holy Spirit comes. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. That was the event, that was the, the initial event where the Holy Spirit came. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Spirit of God always works in conjunction with the Word of God. The Spirit of God is always going to confirm and point to the Word of God. He's never going to contradict. He's always pointing to the Word of God. So when all of these things were new and the Spirit of God had empowered an individual, what was the purpose of that empowering? To point to the Word of God. Because everybody was saying something, and we'll see that again. Everybody had something to say. How do you know when it's God speaking? Well, when, when it can't be explained any other way. Right? When, it, when it has to be along the lines of, of these miraculous things. Right? The, the, the Spirit of God gave gifts to men to confirm this is the Word of God. You keep that. You hold on to that thing. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you, from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Look, people still speak in foreign languages, right? Right, Erla? It's still happening today. You know, we don't see a whole lot of it in our little bubble, but it happens. Jeff is, again, in Alabama today, translating for Cezanne. He's going to be translating again, I believe it's Monday night of, of the REACH conference next week. You know, and if, if Jeff can't do it, then I'm sure Erla will, will step in. <laughs> She's like, well, no, Jeff will do it. He'll take it. Look, Jeff does not have the gift of tongues or the gift of translation. Cezanne is a foreigner to this land. He speaks a different language. He speaks better English than you speak Albanian, but you're not going to hear much English out of Cezanne. He doesn't, he doesn't speak much English. Jeff did not just miraculously get the gift of interpretation. He got the gift of hard work, right? And hopefully your parents gave you that gift. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a physical requirement. Jeff spent over a decade in a foreign land immersing himself in the culture and language. That's how he got it. That's how he can translate now. It doesn't happen the way that it happened before. All right. So, a summary. We've got a summary statement and we'll move on. The biblical gift of tongues 
It's on the back of your sheet. I hear you turning. Go ahead. The biblical gift of tongues is not active in the church today. Again, if, if that statement is too harsh, please go back and, and listen to the previous messages. I can't dig in for time's sake. The biblical gift of tongues is not active in the church today. At the inception of the church, it was used as a sign for unbelieving Jews. During the early church gatherings, it was simply a message from God in a language unknown to the audience and therefore required translation. That's all it was. It's just a foreign language. Right? There, are, there are foreigners in the audience that need to hear that message. And so you share that message, but there's other people in the audience that don't know that foreign language. What do you do? You translate it. So everybody in the audience can understand it. Right? In, in Midtown, they've got a soundproof booth, and they've got a pastor in there speaking Spanish. 100 miles an hour. It sounds like 100 miles an hour to me because I'm slow, remember? He's, just, he's going to town. He's, he's translating because they have a Spanish crowd who needs to know what that pastor is teaching. What is he preaching? How do I apply that to my life? I, I'm only going to be able to do it if there's understanding. Right? That's what it is today. So what do you have once a tongue has been translated? Right? We've got this gift of tongues and this gift of translation. What does it become? It's prophecy. Right? Once it's translated, it's now understood, and you put that in the category of prophecy. That's why he, he said, you know, if, if there's two or three speaking in tongues, let one translate. If there's two or three prophesying, let one judge. There's one that's, that's getting everything and, and collecting it and saying, here, audience, this is what it is. <coughs> so this brings us to the next point, and that's organizing the gift of prophecy. Organizing the gift of prophecy. If we pick up in verse 29, he says, let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. You understand? If prophecy doesn't have learning and comfort, it's not prophecy. Right? It, it, the, the missing piece between those is understanding. You can prophesy all day long. If there's no understanding, there's, there's no comfort and there's no peace. Right? Nobody can learn what, is, what they're supposed to, to do. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So the first thing that we see that Paul is saying is, look, if, if you're going to have the gift of prophecy, it has to be ordered. It has to be ordered. Right? Let the prophets speak two or three. One judges. One person is translating or one person is judging. Determine the validity of what is being spoken and share that with the crowd. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. We're going to wrap this whole chapter up with let all things be done decently and in order. If it's not, well, it's confusion. If it's confusion, it's not God. Verse 30, he says, if another gets a revelation, let the first hold his peace. This is the message of 1 Corinthians, right? Why are you guys always demanding attention? Why are you always out of order? Why are you always me first? Because you're immature. My wife and I, you know, we've, we've taught in all different grade levels, and before I got saved, you know, in, in the singles class, we would volunteer from time to time, in the, like the two-year-olds and the five-year-olds, and, and we would always take them to the gym. It's probably the same thing today. 
Every single one of those kids wants one thing, and that's to be first in line. I want to be the line leader. Why? Because they're immature. It's fun. It's fine. They're three. Who cares? But if you have to be the line leader, you're also immature. If you have to have attention, if you have to have everybody looking at you all of the time, something's out of balance. Immaturity. You haven't grown up yet. If it's got to be all about you and you're little, well, that's, that's just normal. And, and for a time, it's actually kind of cute. You want to you, you know when it's not cute? When it's us. Y'all are too big to be cute anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> your disobedience and your immaturity is no longer cute. You just can't pull it off. Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let somebody else go first, is what Paul's saying. Don't allow yourself to be only concerned about other people hearing you and thinking, man, that guy knows some stuff. Wow. I want to be with that guy. He's, he's pretty awesome. Now, that, that feels good when somebody thinks you're awesome. But that shouldn't drive you. Verse 32, he says, In the spirit of the prophets, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I believe there's two very accurate meanings to this statement, and I think they're both right here. The first is, is the most obvious, and it's basically that the one is speaking, the one who is speaking is in complete control of what they are saying. This is not some crazy force that comes over you that I, I haven't been able to find any of those instances in Scripture aside from demon possession. It's a big book. I might have missed something, but, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen God force somebody to say something. He allowed a donkey to speak. He didn't force it. That donkey had something to say. <laughs> right? And, and God said, let him have it, right? It, it wasn't a forced thing. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The word spirits here is the same that's used in verse 12 of chapter 14. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts... Seek ye that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. The spiritual gifts of the prophets are subject to the prophets. It's the same thing. There's no overwhelming force that will make you say something. It's, it's, it's not that this is the one and only gift of the Spirit that, that God will make you do. Because all of the other ones are the same way too. He's not forcing me to preach. Hopefully I have the, the gift of preaching and teaching. Hopefully that's true. Or y'all are confused and... And that's not of the Lord, right? He didn't force me to do this. I had to, I had to work. I had to study. He doesn't force somebody who has the gift of helps. Man, I just can't help myself. I gotta help you. I got the gift of helps. It just happens. No, you gotta try. You gotta put that effort out there because in general, as we're immature, we just don't want to. It's inconvenient. The other understanding should be ref should, that I'm referring to is in verse 29 and says, you know, some people are taking turns speaking and other, and other individual judges. The Spirit of God is not going to reveal something that is in contradiction to previously revealed Scripture, right? You, as a prophet getting something new in the early church, cannot contradict the Old Testament. It can't happen. There may be some things that are changing. There may be a transition, and we saw that, but it's not going to be a contradiction, 
Otherwise, one of you is not from the Lord. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. There's a whole lot of stuff being said. How do you know that it agrees with what God said? There's a book. We have a book full of truth that's already been revealed. And we can understand if something new is of God and we just didn't see it yet, or if it's just not of God. We try those spirits. We compare them to the standard. So those are the, the two meanings, I believe, of the spirits being subject to the spirit, or the prophets, the spirit of the prophets being subject to the prophets. Somebody had to take all of what was coming in. If it was two or three at a time, that's, that's the best we can do to organize it. Two or three at a time, that's still a lot of information. And it makes a whole lot more sense, and it's a lot more clear if one voice is communicating that to everybody else. Somebody had to judge and determine, is that new? Is that accurate? Is that right? Is that what God would have said? Well, that's the same thing we see over here. And so they could say, yes. Let me communicate that to the crowd. And it becomes prophecy at that point. The second thing that we need, we need order so that letter B would happen and and that's understanding, or, or that it would be understood. Again, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. It's interesting. Sometimes you notice these little words when, when you're studying it out. God is not the author of confusion. We've, we've heard that. But of peace. We've got opposites there, don't we? God uses con- contrast to teach us something. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. Hebrews 5.9 tells us he's the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. If you're confused, how do you know what to obey? Hebrews 12.2. He uses this word author again. Looking unto the finish, or unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him you and I, eternally. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we place our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we obey the gospel. He's the author of peace, and he provided a way for you and I to have peace with him. And that way is Christ. Confusion is the opposite of peace. He wants you to understand the simple message of the gospel. You are a sinner, separated from God. Your sin comes with a cost. It's that eternal separation from God. Jesus Christ paid the price of that cost. He paid it in your place, and all you have to do is trust him and believe that that's a fact. Isaiah 9.5 says, For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Initially, the the first times we see confusion in Scripture, it has to do with taking something God intended for a specific purpose and perverting it. He says that's confusion, and that always brings punishment. Confusion always brings war, and war brings more confusion. In the midst of war, think about old movies that you've seen or, or even new movies of old wars where it's swords clanking, it's people screaming, it's you know, chariots rolling, it's, it's just chaos, it's noise. And a couple of weeks ago, Jeff said, 
Look, if, if the, the, the war trumpet doesn't make a, a clear sound and it's just a noise, the army has no idea what to do because it's constant chaos everywhere they are. The battle is noisy and it's crazy and, and maybe that's your life. And maybe the decisions of your life just keep adding confusion and confusion and I don't know what to do and there's no clear voice. There has to be a trumpet that communicates what the army is supposed to do. They know the sound of, of what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to advance. They know what it sounds like to retreat. They know what it sounds like to flank. They know what that trumpet says when it's telling them the next wave of support's going to come in. If it's just a noise, it's just more confusion. And God wants the message of the gospel to be very clear. If your life is confusing and every decision adds confusion and, and pressure well, maybe you just need to listen to the one voice that makes sense. Jesus Christ is crying out through the noise. The word of God is, is crying out through the noise. The gospel is very clear. Acts 19, verse 26 through 29, says, Moreover, ye see and ye hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying they that they be no gods which were made with hands. Paul came into Ephesus, and there was all kinds of idol worship there. The goddess Diana, we'll see in a, in a moment here. And Paul came in and said, look, there's only one God, and he's actually alive. His name's Jesus Christ. He died for you, he was buried for you, and he rose again victorious over your sin. And, and people started believing it. And they started casting aside their, their idols. And what happened was the, the merchants who made money off of that stuff started freaking out a little bit. Now, you, now you're messing with my bank account. Now, now you're messing with my wallet. Now, now we're serious, right? And we see the results of that. Verse 27, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught or nothing, but also that the temple of the great di goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. There, there was pagan worship going on, and Paul was putting a stop to it with the gospel. There was confusion. And, and when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, excuse me, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, travel they rushed with one accord into the theater and if we jump down to verse 32 it says some therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together there was so much noise and so many words being said and so much confusion they didn't even know why they came together in the first place the unfortunate truth is there's a lot of churches like that today there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of confusion and there's nothing clear being said so that the people know what is clearly expected of them. And what happens when you give clear instruction is there's understanding. And when you give clear instruction, there's effectual results. And that's our last point here. We get effectual results. Originally, the effect in the early church was to give revelation to those who did not have a complete Bible yet. Right? They, they only had what Paul told them when, when they got saved. 
They only had what Paul told them when they got saved and, and a letter he sent later. And, and, and a little bit later, they, they found out that he sent a letter to another place, and, and so they copied each other's letters. Right? The, the word of God was very small at the beginning of what they had access to. So they needed these gifts to reveal to them more details of what was expected. They needed the Lord to fill in some gaps. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Right? The, the purpose of those gifts and those gifted individuals was to build the church, to edify the body of Christ. If they didn't have all the information, they needed some more information, God was free to give it to them through these gifted individuals through these specific gifts, right? So some pastor or, or apostles, prophets, right? There's a verse that says the, the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets. The chief cornerstone is who? It's Jesus Christ. How many cornerstones do you have in a building? You have one. How many foundations do you build in a building? One. When the foundation is, is done, you don't need apostles, prophets, and cornerstones. They're already there, and you build on top of that. So there's no need for certain things. They, they were established at that point. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. How could Paul leave that church? If you know the history of that church, Paul was there. He was quickly rushed out of town. He was there long enough to start a church. He was there long enough to share the gospel and some people got saved. The, the Philippian jailer and his family. And, and select others. And he left, and he leaves them. He writes back to them and says, hey, I'm confident you're going to be just fine. God's not going to quit on you, even though nobody knows anything about what to do. How could Paul make a statement that he was confident that they were going to be okay? Because they were gifted by the Holy Spirit. At a time when the Holy Spirit gave what the believers need, needed to do the things that they were led to do. Well, that sounds like today. We are given the spiritual gifts that we need for today to build the church the way God has commanded us to build it today. The foundation's already set. We have those things in place. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Right? Some of that was brand new when delivered. Some of that's brand new to us when delivered, but it's not new to the church. So today... We would call prophecy something different. We would call it preaching. Right? We preach what's already been revealed. We preach what's already in this book and apply it to our lives. Second Peter 1.21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Originally, that's what was happening. They were verbally communicating the word of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Scripture is something that has been scripted. The initial inspiration that was given to the prophets has been written down. It's, it was inspired through speech, and they recorded it, and God preserved it. And it's profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction, instruction in righteousness. As we preach it, Colossians 1.28 says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 
we preach Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. We also preach the inspired and preserved word of God. It's already been given to us. We already know what it is. We don't need new revelation. We don't need new prophecy. We have, we have a completed book. I feel like what we've done over these last several weeks is that we went off and we got the broom from the witch to put a stop to all this craziness. And, and we didn't know we put the picture up there. We didn't know there was just a weird old man behind the curtain who's pulling cranks and turning levers. Th this whole thing of tongues is very mysterious and very misunderstood and very confusing until, until you just look and see what Paul has to say in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And it may blow your mind that somebody's saying, hey, 1 Corinthians 14 is actually defense of the misuse of the gift of tongues. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> Look, we've, we've pulled the curtain back. There's not a whole lot of mystery there. It's, it's very clear. It's very easy to be understood. So don't be discouraged that the mystery is over and you're, you're just left with, with the old guy. Right? Be edified that applying God's truth is possible, and it's actually what he wants for your life. He wants you to understand it, and he wants you to apply it in faith. He doesn't want you to be confused. Be comforted by knowing that you don't have to be intimidated by something you can never quite figure out. God wants you to understand. Be at peace by understanding how scripture should be applied. He wants you to understand it. Now, it, it may not be easy to believe, but most generally, it's always easy to understand. He wants you to understand it, and he wants you to take that, and he wants you to believe it. I was talking to a friend this week. They had a difficult thing going on in their life, and, and when they realized all you got to do, we, we forget this because life is busy, all you got to do is believe what God said. You know what that does? That, that may still be a very unknown outcome. But whose hands is it now in? The one who made the promises in the first place. So what does understanding and faith give you? It gives you peace. It gives you confidence. It gives you peace. I'm not at war with the one who's made peace. I'm on his side. And he's made me promises. And life might be tough, but he's going to be there. He wants you to understand that. So at the end of your sheet, we have one more phrase and we'll have the worship team come up here in a second. The power of the word of God is not in the mysterious. There's a lot of people that want you to believe that that's true. The power of the word of God is not in the mysterious. They want you to believe that it is. The power is in what we can clearly, or what can be clearly understood and applied in faith. That's the message that Paul needed to repeat to the Corinthians. That's the message that we need today. And some of you may have a life that is very confusing because of decisions made and because of consequences and because of sin in your life and because you just don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today, 
you can make the best decision of your entire life, of your eternity. You can choose Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he can give you peace, and he can give you comfort, and he can give you understanding. And, and just like you built your confusing world one brick at a time and one decision at a time, he'll begin to take those down and put the bricks that belong there. He'll begin to build what he wants. And the awesome part is that, that we get to build that together. Because the church is not a physical building, it's, it's us. It's the body. Go ahead, worship team, why don't you come on up. Let's all pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is clear.